What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus hosted for and by queer women of color. I am Money, and this week I'm the ant abolitionist. You know, I, whatever, all creatures, you know, life, whatever, blah, 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 all that oh, stuff. Oh, man, that you mean like... at my front door. Oh, you mean, I thought you meant like an auntie abolitionist. You mean you want to get rid of all the ants? Ants, Yes. I, well, I, I would never call my aunt my aunt. Wow. Who says that? Wow. No. I'm not talking about aunts as in aunties. I'm talking about aunts as in why do I wake up and there's suddenly a whole like rooftop party of ants on my counter? Where did you come from? Where did you come from? How did you get Right here? through that front door. <laughs> Yeah, I'm fucking sick of ants. Like, nothing works. All this shit that's, like, kills on contact and blah, blah, blah. First of all, I feel like those advertisements are, like, aggressively violent. You know, I just don't want no ants you on my You saying that that's aggressively violent, but you want the whole species of ants to be gone? I just, I think they're done. I think they had a good run. Oh, my God. We're going to get so much good. hate mail for this. The ant lobby is not going mean, to take we, too kindly to this. We get it. We and you get know, it. Send, you know, send. you know, this podcast is all about organizing. And if there's a creature that believes in the strength in numbers, it's a motherfucking ant. I tell you. <laughs> Nikita, you're not going to talk me off of this, okay? I'm an ant abolitionist. <laughs> who are you? I am. Who am I? That is a great question. You know what? I am pro Aunt Nikita. Oh, my God. You're just such a contrarian. You know what? Let's get into the intro. Okay. Ant lives matter. <laughs> Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe incite my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do, your light is harmony. Hey, every type, darkest night, brightest light, I'm loving your soul. They hate you, replace you, take you, but know that you go. Worldwide from every continent, I just want you to jig a little bit. Move them hips, feel that bliss. Hug your sister, make a fist. Don't resist your temptation, you amazing, no limitation. My favorite in this matrix, we move by your vibration and that's love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love. You love. Hey. <laughs> All right, Nikita. Can you tell folks where they can find us? Um, I think we're going to be found um, in the canceled bin after that intro. But when we're not in the canceled bin, we you can find us on all the social meds. So you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at QueerWalkPod, P-O-D. You can also find us on Le Book of Faces, facebook.com slash QueerWalkPod. You can find us on Tumblr, QueerWalk.com. And where can folks listen? Thank you. You can listen to us on Pocket Cast, CastBox, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and now newly on Spotify after those rectified terms of agreement. 
Yeah. All right. When I'm not munching through the moment, Money and I are both the co-hosts of this, I guess, now reactionary uh, podcast. (laughs) Anyway, but you all are a part of the community, right? We would not be able to do this if not for you all. And so there's a number of ways that you all can contribute to this here illustrious insurgent biweekly audio syllabus. Money, can you please tell the listeners how they can do that? I sure can. So y'all can contribute one of two ways. The first way is by loving us out loud. Do the R's. You can rate us. You can review us on whatever platform you listen on. You can request a topic because we need the requests. Uh, You can repost when we post the episodes, put it in your story, retweet us, um, and reply. Use the hashtag QueerWOC to talk all things the podcast. Um, You can also send us an email to submit your Curved Chronicles, which are your dating stories or your dating questions, to QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. The second way you can contribute is by giving us money. Skrilla. You can do that one of two ways. The Let first way cabbage. is over on the Cash App at dollar sign Queer Walk Pod POD. You can give as much or as little, one time, no commitment over there on the Cash App. Or you can become a sustainer of this podcast through becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com slash Queer Walk Pod, that's POD, um, in order to support the coming of these episodes every other week. And you know how important it is to come. We have some suggested donations over there, but you can give as much or as little a month as you would like. Um, and I am like actively working on Patreon exclusive content. And y'all just, maybe it might be helpful for y'all to just tell me what the hell y'all want on the Patreon. Because it's like, I don't want to be spinning my wheels doing something that y'all are like, this ain't it. <laughs> All right, Nikita, we're going to move it on along to the... Queer walk, queer walk, queer walk of the week. Of the week, you've you've completely changed the tempo of it. Queer walk, queer walk. Like no, that's not how we do it. It's queer walk, queer walk, queer walk of the week. Forgive me for my Texas roots wanting to chop and screw. The I intro. already told you nobody wants a tro- a chopped and screwed anything. That's exactly what a northerner would say. You fucking New Yorkers. A northerner? Wow. Yeah. You goddamn Yankee. Where's your camo hat, Nikita? I'll tell you where it is. Right in the revolution. (laughs) Okay. Are you sure it's not in the laundry because you've worn it so much? (laughs) All right. So what is the Queer Walk of the Week segment? So the Queer Walk of the Week segment or the Queer Pock of the Week segment. You can't ask your own question and then answer it is where we highlight some uh queer woman of color queer person of color who's just doing the damn thing and we want to give them their flowers while they are still with us or if they're not still with us we give them their flowers because they should have had them um so Mm -hmm. yeah this is just where we highlight and uplift all the dope ass work that queer women and queer folks of color are doing so take it away, Nikita. All right. Oh, my God. I'm so predictable. Of course, this would be my Queer Walk of the Week. So, oh, this is also a good time because we're in March. So happy Women's History Month. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. 
So, you know why you forgot that it was Women's History Month, Montanique? Because we celebrate, amplify, and appreciate women all throughout the motherfucking 365. Year. Yeah, you right. Yeah. And 366 in a leap year, nigga. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really out of control. That's true. <laughs> I'm out of control. <laughs> okay. So, this week's Queer Rock of the Week um, is going to be Josette. Uh, I think it's uh, Jaramillo or Jaramillo. So, mm-hmm. uh, Josette is... Um, Surprise, surprise, a president uh, of one of the locals of AFL-CIO. So what is AFL-CIO? So it's the American Federation of Labor and Congress of Industrial Organizations. Basically, she's a union leader. So I came across this article a while ago, and I was like, wow, I don't see a lot a lot of stuff about queer women of color union leaders. So I was very intrigued. So... So she works for the county. Um, she's from Colorado. So she works in the Department of uh, Child Welfare. So, I, I, you know, I understand that that's like a, you know, a contentious sort of uh, department for um, people of color. But, you know, she's trying to make sure and ensure the health and the well-being of kids who are in um, foster care. So she was the president of two major union federations, and she also does a lot of, obviously, a lot of labor organizing. So um, so she's uh, 38, and um, so she says growing up, she always, um, so her grandfather was, was in a union. He was a part of the steel workers. And so she's like, I've always seen like the importance of unions and like how they impact um, like families and how like it impacted and helped her family. Mm-hmm. So uh, like that was that was something that she saw growing up. And um, so she says, you know, she's always loved helping people. Is that a surprise? I feel like that's such a thing in our community. You know what I'm saying? Always taking care of people, right? And so she says, I see a direct impact in the lives uh, of the kids that I work with. um, And it really gives her a sense of purpose and drive. So she studied psychology and criminal justice. And so she worked in uh, mental health before. where She's been working with the the county uh, for the past 15 years. Um, She's worked on some, like, city council elections and after working and connecting and building relationships with other workers, she was like, okay, I want to get more involved in my union. So in 2015, uh, she was the pre- she was elected president of her local chapter. And so, again, she talks about her grandpa and seeing, like, the appreciation of what unions can do for families growing up. She identifies as a lesbian. I feel like that's important. Um, and so in the, so this article came out last year in May. So like at that time, one of the things that she and her union were pushing for was, uh, making sure that frontline workers in the union were being, uh, protected in the midst of COVID-19, of course. Oh, yes. And especially in her work and like the child services, she was like, she really wanted to pay special attention, obviously, to what was happening to queer youth. Um, and so, like, some of the things that they were working on is um, in the Colorado AFL-CIO was um, making sure that workers, again, were protected in in terms of safety in the workplace around COVID. So they launched a website where essential workers could report if their employers were violating any state or federal safety guidelines. 
And they also created a committee to make sure um, that workers were included in Colorado's Council on Economic Stabilization and Growth. And so that was a committee that would basically make decisions about how state and federal funds, you know, were allocated in the midst of um, COVID and all that. So that's like really, really critical. And so she talks about like the basic things that unions do, right? So it's like making sure that workers have are paid fair wages, uh, making sure that they're treated fairly on the job, like benefits in terms of health care. But one of the things, and we've, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but one of the things that she said was really important, especially in a crisis, is that, um, um, or just like it, well, in any time, in any time, is that, especially when you think about how there's so many states that don't offer like LGBT or queer protections at, mm-hmm. at the state level, unions can be like a, a really important, they can play like a really active role in making sure that workers aren't discriminated against in the right. workplace. So like, mm-hmm. I, and again, you think about a lot of places, um, not just in the South, but I think about like the South um, in particular. So like, it's that's why it's really critical to have workers, you know, like Josette, queer workers and like black workers and other oppressed people in unions because unions can fight for and ensure those protections. And so Mm-hmm. Um, you like one of the things that she says, you know, whether you're an LGBTQ plus worker, a black worker, a female worker, we have clauses in our contract that protect against, you know, discrimination. And so I love the way that she talks about the union. Um, so she says, like, at the end of the day, you know, we should be champions of our communities. And I'm like, I don't think that I think that because unions are often seen as these like bread and butter issues like they only directly like think about the immediate mm-hmm. things that are happening at their workplaces it's like no that there's like a broader um like there's like again it's like at the workers don't just go to work it's like they're you know they have other kinds of commitments and they have other identities mm-hmm. that again that need protection so it's again i love that it's not just a champion of like you as a worker like in your workplace but again as workers in a community it's like you're also like championing the community you know and so she says mm-hmm. so another some of the things that they were doing also um, so pushing to make sure that the unemployment insurance was extended, um, which is critical to like gig workers. So, um, so like people who get like 1099, so let's say, um, like, you know, you and I, we've done 1099 work. So if, if you go speaking mm-hmm. somewhere, it's like making sure yep. that, so again, like when you do different kinds of gigs, making sure that those workers are entitled to unemployment insurance, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. And so she's like, you know, making sure that we we want to make sure that our own members are taken care of. But like a rising tide lifts all boats. So even when like a gig worker is not in a union, it's like you want to make sure that, again, that all people in the community are like, you know, taken care of, not just like your narrow yeah. interest in your union. So I, I just love her perspective on, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, union organizing. And so, like, some of the things that she does, like, in her job is, like, she's, like, when there's queer youth that, that you know, that she encounters, um, like, in the system. So she's, like, you know, she takes a special care to, like, mentor them and spend, like, extra time with them. 
um, you know, especially as queer youth. Um, so she says when queer youth come through the system, so she says it's like a priority for her to make sure that they are placed in homes where there's like where they're going to actually be loved and accepted, and making sure that yep. families are given additional training or info around like gender identity and like sexual mm-hmm. orientation. So um, I just I don't know. I just thought that that was just so like. Again, it's like how often do you hear about, you know, queer women of color, labor union leaders. So I just really wanted to highlight um, Josette and give her her um, give her her flowers. And there's an article from them dot us. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can read more and learn more about um, Josette. So thank you for your work, Josette. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that community work is so important with her role in the county. Too. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like the union needs to be for everybody in the county, mm-hmm. not just the workers at the place that she's working. Exactly. So, yeah. Shout out to Josette Yaramillo. Indeed. All right. You want to do your little uh, raggedy jingle for community contributors? We're going to move it along, 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 along to the community contributors. Segment. That sounds like um, a 90s <laughs> uh, TV show theme song. It sounds like the beginning of Family Matters. Whatever. Uh, so, <laughs> community contributors, Family Matters, potato, potato. Um. <laughs> this actually is our Family Matters segment, isn't it? It is. Because our community is our family. Nicely done, money. I know you didn't do that intentionally, but I'll pretend like you did. Well, you know, I was already there, you know, thinking connectedly from the (laughs) queer walk, you know, Josette's work. I was just like, uh, community is family. You know, why are you doing why are you doing hotep hands right now? (laughs) (laughs) Hotep hands? Is that what this is? That's what you yeah. I feel like people can envision it, what we are doing with our hands right now. <laughs> I thought it was spoken word hands. Oh, but yeah. Maybe there's not much of a difference between spoken word hands and hotel that, hands. That Venn diagram <laughs> is practically a circle. That's okay. We're having a good time. So the community contributor segment is the segment where we we just love to give shout outs and love to y'all. You know, like we say, we wouldn't be able to do this without y'all. So this is... You know, the segment where, you know, we shout out who's donated, you know, we shout out folks, uh, you know, wherever they're listening from or any other um, any other thing that you all share with us. We love to share it right here in the community contributor segment. OK, you do the um, the money shout outs and I'll do the borders of fake shout outs. Oh, damn. I wanted to do the. All right. It's fine. No. Uh, all right. Shout out to our new patron, Casey. Thank you so much, Casey, coming through with the Skrilla. That's thanks, Casey. The you know what? <laughs> Not just the Skrilla, but the sustained Skrilla, because they're a patron and right, a commitment. You know what? We're just gonna call this next it's, instead of we're, we're just gonna stop calling this the Cash App shout out. We're just gonna start calling this the M Martinez Cash App because guess who came this, through this yet true. again? <laughs> I want somebody. Thank you, M. I feel like you want a relationship with somebody that loves you as much as M. Martinez loves donating to us via the app, the Cash App. <laughs> That's the kind of love that you want. 
If it ain't in Martinez, on, if it ain't in Martinez on the cash app, I don't want it. Thank you, and Martinez again. <laughs> All right, so Mari, uh, what the hell is Borders of Fate? Shoutouts. What's that about? Yeah, Borders. The Borders of Fate shoutouts is. I mean, aside from Borders, quite literally being fake, like you know, Touché. social constructs. Um, so, uh, aside from that, this is just where we shout out the spaces outside of large metropolitan areas where, you know, folks sort of assume that queer life is already popping and happening, or it's just a place that hasn't come up in our top 10 on our, uh, what do you call them things? Statistics, analytics before. So we're, you know, we got some new listeners in places, so... To start off, I don't I don't think we've ever shouted out New Orleans. I don't think so either. That's wild to me. No. I well, they were like number 3 this week on our analytics. So Both the bigger, both the bigger, both the bigger, both the Montanique, did you secretly, All right, all right, all right. I, feel I just, you, you know, secretly change your location to listen to our episode as many times as possible. From New Orleans, Ooh, just, so you second line, yeah. just so you Ooh, can do that. Just so you can do that. I love New Orleans, okay? New Orleans is like has such a deep, special place in my heart. Um, I have a thing for New Orleans accents. I oh, stayed man, in re- <laughs> relationships way too long because of that accent. <laughs> um <laughs> I just, yeah, everything about New Orleans, uh, I just love. I got to visit and spend a lot of time in that city in college. And, yeah, there's just, like, an element of, like, freedom in in all aspects that I experience in New Orleans. It's like a, it's a, it's a vibe. I can't, you know, it's not like they're saying, yeah, it's not like nobody is like, here, you can be queer. Right. It's just a vibe. Yeah. So, Thank you so much, New Orleans, for existing as a a, a free black uh, space and for showing up in our statistics. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I will forever bounce this ass in um, geometrical formations yeah. when I hear bounce music and Big Frida. Ooh, Big Frida been dropping them bops lately. All right, the second place we're going to shout out is Pasioma. Is it Passi- or P- Paco- Pacoima? Is it Pacoima or Pacoima? I was going to say Pacoima. Pacoima? Pa- it's in California. So shout out to y'all. Um, Pacoima. <laughs> we're going to get roasted for that one, I'm sure. It's Pacoima. It has to be Pacoima. Right? Pacoima? Uh, that sounds ridiculous to me, but what do I know? It don't to me. It sound like, you know, the two people who started the city, Paco and Ema. Okay. <laughs> it's like your daddy named Sean, your mama named Aisha. Exact- it's like Seanisha. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Paco Ema, California, shout out. Um, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm butchering that pronunciation, but I've never though? been there. Are so. you really sorry, though? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm a road through Pacoima, Pacoima, whatever. <laughs> and then I'm going to know how to pronounce it. Okay. So. <laughs> and last but not least, uh, New Madrid, Missouri. None of those words sound right together. 
<laughs> and right. who was in whatever in Missouri is like, I know about old this Madrid. This reminds me of Madrid. That's what I'm saying. They're like, uh-uh, this is the new Madrid. This, that's how you know that this is just nothing but just some settler nonsense. Well, whether it's new, old, or medium, we love whoever is listening in quote-unquote New Madrid, Missouri. And that is the point. That, that is, is the, the point. real point. That we love y'all for listening wherever y'all are. Yeah. And whoever set your city's name up, we don't know. But we appreciate that you are there and listening. Absolutely. That is a nice way to clean that up so people don't just be like, wow, those bitches got a lot of nerve. So we're going to move it on along to the munch-free mental (laughs) moment with money. Pray tell, what is the mental moment with money? I don't know why mental, I was about to say, I don't know why mental, but I meant to say why money is throwing me the middle finger, but whatever. So the mental moment with money is the segment where our resident licensed credential mental health professional money offers some sort of tidbit insight, some kind of perspective on something and or all things related to mental health. So without further ado, Money, what do you have for us this week? Well, um, I just have some reflections on um, some pretty like old articles that I think made some good points in like the 80s and 90s. And a generation later, I feel like I, I have some like perspective on the points that they were making. So, yeah, so I feel like I want to talk through some backstory about this, and then I want to get into my mental moment, which is really about uh, making your making your robust list of strengths, okay? So that's like the core of my mental moment, but I want to give a little background to it, because, you know, I be reading, and this is my area of study. So, uh, um, there's this article from 89 called... Uh, Diseasing of America is by this uh, person named Peel. So what I took from that read in 1989 was there is a there was a rapidly uh, there was a rapidly shifting phenomenon to diseasing of identities or like aspects of our identities. And I don't think this is like new news to anybody with a a marginalized identity when it comes to mental health, because I mean, you name it, like resisting enslavement was considered a a mental disorder. Um, Being, you know, uh, gay was considered a mental disorder. So I think, you know, women went through hysteria and like all this because, you know, so I think folks understand this, but there was a particular um, way that it was happening around people's identity and persona in the uh, late 80s, early 90s that this article was talking about. And so the article is specifically focused on like why this was happening, right? So I'm just give a little bit of that. So obviously the way the DSM was written all the way up until the last edition, and for folks who might not know, the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of like mental health disorders and illnesses. So it's the it's the book that we use to define 
and identify mental health disorders. So mm-hmm. if you have a therapist or a doctor or whatever who has diagnosed you with something, they use this book's criteria to do so. So prior to the last version of this book, so we on five right now. So prior to five, the DSM was kind of written like uh, a Chinese takeout lunch menu. So it's like you can get three of these and two of these and then you have it, right? So it would be, <laughs> it really was. It was like um, borderline personality uh, consists of, it'll have like 11 characteristics. It's like if you have five of these and then it'll have seven other like behaviors and it'll be like if you have three of these. So as you can see with such huge like combinations that are possible, People was just falling into these categories. Right. So there was a oh, like a big ballooning in the early 90s of diagnosis of folks. Um, and then I was trying to remember this word. I know there's a term for this. And some of the social workers or therapists who are listening right now will be like, oh, it's this. But... So there, there used to be this term back when I was getting my master's degree. So like in the early early 2000s, 2010s for if somebody doesn't really meet the criteria, but they're like really close to it. So maybe they have four out of this category and one out of this one. Uh-huh. That would become a label in and of itself. Oh, wow. So then you have even more people identifying with a disorder and a diagnosis. Yeah. Um, so that was happening. The, the very way that the DSM was written was catching more people than it typically would. Funding for research shifted from being like what's happening here oriented to problem oriented. So funding for to do research would be like um, diagnosis focused. So if you're not doing research around people diagnosed with personality disorders or people diagnosed with mood disorders, then you wouldn't be able to get funding for your research, right? If you were just like, oh, I just want to see what mental health is like for these folks over here. They would be like, so what's the issue? So then you had, yeah. So then you had people framing. I want to study the 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 the, what's that word? Deleterious impacts of trauma on this population in order to get funded, right? So you can't just say I want to see what's popping with the people in Tacoma. They would be like, well, what terrible thing happened in order for for this to be funded as a study? Um, And then the last thing that really contributed to this boom in diagnosing was vocational psychology. So I know when I was in high school and I think because we live in a generation that that was shaped by this stuff. Right. So um, we are like us millennials. So when I was in high school, it was a big thing of everybody taking these like exams of what you want to be or what you should be, where your skills would be best used. Oh, these kind of. Yes, vocational aptitude stuff, um, going to the counselor's office to take, you know, maybe the Myers-Briggs or whatever. Um, this was like a huge thing, right? And so this really started to happen in the late 80s, early 90s, too. I feel like this is also parallel to where school became uh, incre- increasingly more terrible and just like a socialization tool to, to produce good workers. Yeah. So, um Yeah, so all these things combining really give us this backdrop of, like, diagnosis-focused identity formation, if that makes sense. Um, And so I was reading this article, and my words is the diseasing of our identities, because, like, you know, 
no longer is this just like, oh, this is who I am. This is how I function. It's it's a focus on what is diagnosable and therefore studyable, therefore treatable, treatable. whatever. Yeah. So um, deeply ableist when you think about it. But all right. So. I was reading this article and it made me really think about, no surprise, narrative therapy and solution-focused therapy. I'm teaching these this semester, but these are also my theories that I put put weight in. These are the theories that I believe in when I'm doing this uh, mental health stuff, okay? And so there's this quote from Wolin and Wolin that I want to read. And the quote is, we need a list of our strengths as powerful and validating as the florid vocabulary of disease found in the DSM to combat our nation's obsession with pathology. Oof. And so I really thought about that. I was like, do we have a list of our strengths that is as powerful and validating as all these words we use to pathologize our experiences or to sort of like normalize pathology? Um, to, to identify with an illness versus identifying with the you that is surviving with the, the illness. Right. You know, I, I started to think about that after reading that quote. And then, you know, getting ready for this mental moment. I also went back to one of my favorite books of all time. The Salt Eaters. Tony K. Bambara. First line in the book. Are you sure, sweetheart, that you want to be well? I like to caution folks, that's all. A lot of weight when you're well. You just hold on to that. Oof. And I thought about this too because um, I think when when your identity becomes the disease or the illness or the struggle, what space outside of that is there to be well, to be powerful, to to experience pleasure, to have joy? Like we were talking about yesterday with the minority podcast, yeah. right? Minority. Like what joy? Like where's the joy? We, yes, we know. We experience all these things. And we also know that we are some celebrating ass, resilient Absolutely. ass folks, yeah. right? So um, so this put me into thinking about resiliency. And I think that this word has been, like so many other terms, just been really taken away from from what is meant or the power it could have. So when I say resiliency, what I mean is like the the capacity we have to bounce back. Mm. Um, and, and that gets lost. And so I think resiliency research can really uh, present us with an alternative narrative to this labeling every aspect of our experience as disordered or a reaction to a disorder. Like, uh, you know, I'm a person, I'm a person with anxiety. So I can't, it's like forgetting how much resilience you have though to survive as a person with anxiety uh is also a self-defeating narrative right so like there's this whole alternative life story that you're ignoring by privileging the story that's uh completely saturated with anxiety sure and so i so i just this is how i write y'all this is how i take notes so it's always in question form like the true narrative therapist i am who have our experiences shaped us to be Rather than what are the experiences we had. Does that make sense? Can you say that again? Who have our experiences shaped us to be. 
rather than what were our experiences. Yeah, I got you. I got you. I got right. you. So the what, you get caught up in the trauma. You get caught up in the content. You get caught up in the concretes and the facts and constantly on this hamster wheel of proving that this was a thing that happened to you. And in the meantime, you're forgetting all the brilliant, beautiful person that you are who had that experience right. and, and are still here. Right. Do you want to be that person? Or is that identity a reaction to what you've experienced? Yeah. So rather than reacting, we can identify with our resourcefulness, our creativity, and our durability to like still fucking be here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm thinking about this a year into a global pandemic and I'm here. Like that speaks to my durability. It speaks to something about me to be able to survive. Right. Um, when girl, the Rona, the vid ain't take no days off and I'm still here. Yeah. I've seen this in like meme form before. And, you know, I know y'all love y'all uh, mental health memes. So like the the incident, the experience, the trauma was not a choice. But we have a choice to repair, reauthor and regenerate from it. Mm. That is the choice. We can choose to repair, reauthor and regenerate or we can choose to stay in it. Um and I think you do need space away from stuff in order to heal, you know, but healing is a choice. That's why, you know, many ransom and assault eaters said, are you sure you want to be well? Right. I say all that to say <laughs> my mental moment suggestion for y'all this episode is to make your list of strengths. So just as easily as you can rattle off all of the problems, the experiences, the traumas, the diagnoses that you have, I want you to be just as readily able to rattle off your strengths, your yes. bounce back ability, yeah. your durability, your ways that you've repaired, your ways that you regenerate. You know, like X-Men was really a... a a, a, a documentary on, <laughs> yeah x-men is really a documentary on queer folks of color okay it's like we have all of these um these powers and this is also what like resiliency research has showed us right like with these kids that we classify as quote-unquote at risk um these populations that we overstudy and oversaturate um, and pathologize their very identity, we see that they actually are the populations that have the most um, the most uh, creativity, the most mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. skill at navigating problem solving, right? And I think that I just in this mental moment, if you have to take anything else away from it, I want you to take away. I don't want us to get lost in our struggle and forget all of our strength. Yeah. Touché. So, so when I say make your list of strengths, um, when you're fresh out of the struggle or maybe still like halfway in it, you know, I feel like I'm always one foot in, one foot out of struggling every right. day. <laughs> um, that is, I'm not just talking about this internal strength or will to pull yourself to being resilient. I'm also talking about the things that we always talk about on Queer Walk, family, community, society, support that you have as well. So, um, a strength could be having caring and supportive parents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, a, a strength a strength that you have could be having some dope-ass friends. 
A strength could be having a really good relationship with a sibling. A strength could be having an optimistic outlook about your neighborhood. Um, Baby Mother has this uh, this lyric about uh, folks want to uh, folks would rather leave the hood than stay and make it better, right? Yeah. So we we all know those people in our neighborhoods who are just so down for the block. They so committed to their neighborhoods. Yeah. Like that is a strength. Do you have somebody like that around you? You know, those are all strengths. So when um, you do start to make your list of strengths, don't leave out those like larger circles of strengths, not just your personal ones. And then straight out of resiliency research, I want to give y'all two areas uh, to be able to name strengths in. And so from resiliency research with uh, children who were considered like uh, to have significant uh, adverse childhood experiences, which, which could be a whole range of things, right? That's not the point, again, because it's not about the experience. It's about the resilience. Um, they found in this research that these children, more than children who have had, quote, unquote, normative life experiences, which we really know is just like um, structural, structurally privileged experiences, like housing stability, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> all this kind of stuff, right? Um, they Children who don't struggle with food insecurity, all of that. But anyway, children who had adverse life experiences um, as they aged had more constructive competence skills and creative competence skills. So What's I want to explain what those. Oh, okay. You already beat me to it. I said, yeah, no, it's okay. You can ask the question. What's a constructive competency skill? I've never heard that term. I am so glad you asked, Nikita. <laughs> so... <laughs> so a constructive competency skill is any practical way, hands-on approach or skill you have to problem solving. Okay. That people who have had more adverse life experiences have better practical approaches to skill and problem solving. Right. So one study, oh my gosh, this study by, y'all know I love a citation, uh, Dina and Dweck. They had kids with adverse life experiences in one group putting together a puzzle and kids who, who didn't experience adverse life experiences in another group putting together a puzzle. Guess what group put the puzzle together the fastest? The ones with the adverse experiences. That's right, motherfucker. We some puzzle solving ass people. <laughs> So, yeah, like, like, think about those things, right? So, um, when you've been met with all kind of problems, of course you develop the skill problem, to problem solve. skills, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so I know people laugh at that, um, that diagnosis of affluenza, you know, like when rich people have no common or practical sense or skill. Yeah. And just don't know how the world works. But there's something real to that. Sure. Like, when you have been shielded and cushioned from every adversity in life, you don't know how to solve exactly, problems. Exactly. You can create <laughs> you them. But for damn sure, you can't can create them. Can't, can't solve them. <laughs> you, you might be very skilled at creating uh, problems, but not so much at not solving them. Not a solution them. in so, sight. Yes. So, so, constructive competencies are all the strengths, skills, uh, approaches you have to problem solving. Okay. 
So, I, so one that I think I have is I can always see nine different uh, paths of something. That is so, so it's like, true. Yeah. I'm like, we could do it this way or we could do this. We could do this. We could do this. Yeah. And we could do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is a skill. You know, that way if a, if a, um obstacle pops up on, in my pursuit of my plan B, then I can go to plan C, yeah. D, E. So that's constructive competencies. So I want y'all to be thinking about y'all constructive competency skills. What strengths do you have that are practical ways to problem solving? And then the second is creative competence. Creative competence is your ability to move between the practical and the creative okay. should a problem pop up. Right? So uh, every time I think about creative competence, I think about uh, Vicks Vaporub and duct tape because those were staples. <laughs> those were staples of creative competence yeah. in my household. It's like, um, you got allergies, Vicks Vaporub. Yeah. Um, you... <laughs> You got a cold, Vicks Vaporub. You got a backache, Vicks Vaporub. Um, you got asthma, Vicks Vaporub. But also duct tape, multifunctional, yep. multifaceted. <laughs> it, this reminds me of the alternative use. Uh, that was, you know, uh, that was skills. my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. It's like getting creative, right? Uh, the ability to use something in a novel uh, innovative way to help you um, problem solve or get what you need. So creative competence is also the ability to create um, new ways to deal with life experiences. So when I think about creative competence, I think about how funny black people are on social media oh all my the time. freaking like, <laughs> gosh. That's my mental moment. I know it was a more nebulous one than I usually do, no. but... Um, I want you to make a list of your strengths and remember, not just the individual or internal ones. Think about your constructive competence and your creative competence. This I'm like, I've got so much to say about this. This was such a good, um, such a good moment. Really? Yeah, I just really like I feel like my brain what do you call those? I feel like the synapses are just firing away in my brain right now. <laughs> this, I, What's happening? I think this, one of the first things I thought about was another mental moment that you did about triggers and how like the the point, like the eventual goal of a trigger mm-hmm. is that you don't want to sit in it. It's like you want to like lessen or yes. ideally, like, not have the trigger. Mm-hmm. And it's like... Right. And, of course, you know, this shit isn't... E- I mean, like, you know, that bringing in that Tony... The Tony K. Bambara was so sharp because it's like... What did she say? Like, you know, trying to be well is no trifling matter. Yep. And so mm-hmm. it's like a lot of work. It's hard to do it's this. It's hard, and yes. I think I think that was kind of the first thought, you know, that I had. And so... And I think it's, and I think like the thing that like it, it's so difficult to talk about this because it's like you don't want pe- like you're not veering into some like personal responsibility reactionary right wing exactly. nonsense and it's like that's why I didn't want to give examples because I'm like people will get stuck in the example and yeah. feel like it's like this yeah personal it's responsibility not pull shot yourself fired. up by your bootstrap right for right. mental health kind of thing it like and actually I feel like you actually beautifully underscore that when you talk about not just your individual strengths but like what is that broader 
communal social support. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I yeah. think it's just, and I don't even, and it's like, it's easy. And I don't, again, I don't mean it's in some kind of like, oh, you you can think your way out of whatever the fuck by no means. Anybody who listens to our show regularly should know that that's not what we're about. But I think, I yeah. do think it's, it's very easy to get stuck in those hard places. And it's, and I, I want to, I want to say something to that. Like I, when I say it's easy to stay in, I have X diagnosis. So blah, blah, blah. Or it's easy to stay in Well, I experienced this. So blah, yeah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. What I mean is like, we have, we have scripts interpersonally and socially that supports us staying in that. Yeah. So yeah. these these articles, and I'm not saying nothing new. I wish I was, you know, so I can get me another, you know, publication on my CV. <laughs> but like these people were saying this in the 80s, right? Like the society that we live in is obsessed with pathology. Yeah. Yeah. So because it is deeply ableist. So of, yeah, course, of course it wants of us course. to, yeah, like to be problems that need to be solved. So we have scripts for talking about that. We have scripts for, for being the damage. Uh, product under a racist, ableist, capitalist society. Sure, sure, sure. What we don't have scripts for is healing outside of that. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. like what we don't have scripts. Yeah. So and and that's because those scripts have been actively suppressed. Of like, um, oh, you live in a, a food desert. This I feel like this is an external enough one to give us examples. Like, ah, oh, it ain't no food in the hood, and all we got is McDonald's and blah blah blah. Like that is the dominant script. But we also not looking at this person's mama who knows how to grow tomatoes. Yeah. In this tiny little pet, you know, right, it's like right, what we're right. also not not looking at is the like, oh my gosh, I got so mad, like so raging mad one night because there's this show on hulu called struggle meals and there's some little white boy who makes like 30 minute yeah recipes out of quote-unquote struggle food and i'm like it's like are you kidding me bitch it's like i've been having struggle meals Grew up I've been on struggle str- meals. When nobody grew up. did nobody slap a camera in my mama's face. The the inventor of struggle meals, you know. So it's just like how, yeah, how we keep getting written out of our own moves to survival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just want to remind us that we have those. We have these strengths. We have these alternative narratives. We don't have to be the damaged product under insert whatever here. Yeah. Touche. There's, yeah. oof, there's so much to say, but yeah, because we'll it's it like I, for now. when I say it's easy to identify with that, I don't want people to think that I'm saying it's easy to have post traumatic stress. You right, know, it's like right. it's not. We're it's not, not. We're not saying that at all. Right. At all. Right. 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 Uh, it's not easy to have like adverse childhood experiences. Yeah, at but all. they do equip us with yeah. these skills and strengths. And durability that that other folks can't say they have. Still, so I just want us to remember. The that. last thing, I mean, one of the things I think about so much about your segment is that, and it's like, it's also about like one of the ways that I appreciate how you talk about therapy, and more importantly, how you practice therapy is about how can we access those tools that we don't even know that we have in order to do right. that stuff. I think that that's something right. that I always appreciate about how you yeah. talk about and approach and practice therapy. 
Thanks, Nikita. Yeah. Because it's hard to do that sometimes, you know, like in session. Because I want to make sure I'm making space for the the very real, like, emotional, cognitive, and behavioral reactions we have to this shit, right? And when people are like, okay, so what do I do? Like, that's why I'm paying you. Like, what do I do? I'm like, I could do that. I could give you all the things, yeah. right? And in doing so, I would just be confirming this uh, story that you have no idea what you're yeah, doing. Yeah. That you yeah. haven't survived. That you don't have no strength to contribute absolutely. to your own healing. Yeah. And that's what um, Minnie Ransom is asking Velma in this book, The Salt Eaters, right? Like, just like something has got you here. So I want you, I want you to hold this thought. Yeah. Like, what, what do you have? That can contribute to your wellness. I'm just not coming in as some um, overflowing vessel of healing pouring yeah. into yeah. you. Yeah. You're more like a guide. Right. Right. Yeah. This is a relational exchange. Yeah. Yeah. So if this was helpful, y'all, let me know. Use the hashtag QueerWalk. Aqua Underwear is a small custom underwear project with an eye on queer, gender, and BIPOC inclusion. All garments are handmade by Mel, a queer Latinx sewist based in Salt Lake City, Utah, with a dream to make underwear that can be customized to fit a wide variety of bodies and genders. That means underwear made to your unique measurements and between the leg needs and styles you actually want to wear. While the future holds many exciting styles, currently Aqua Underwear exclusively makes boxer briefs for all genders. Custom orders are taken seasonally, each time in different colors and fabrics. They have cozy cotton, luxurious lace, and coming up is the Mega Mesh Collection. Sizes range from 26 to 60 inch waists, and sizes are ever-expanding. As part of the QT BIPOC community, Aqua Underwear's owner Mel centers the community wherever possible. For example, all Aqua Underwear models are cutie BIPOC and BIPOC folks and prioritized for testing new styles and models. There's also a 20% undie discount and even some pay-what-you-can options for folks in the community. There's so much more to discover about this new underwear project. So to find out more, head over to Aqua Underwear's website, aquaunderwearslc.com, and Instagram at Aqua Underwear. That's A-Q-U-A Underwear. And feel free to hit them up. Tell them that Queer Walk sent you. And now, our leftist luminary labor lecture with Nikita. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, yeah. I just, it's like an, it's like a Pavlovian response. I can't not do it, even if I don't want to do it. You could not do it. But I can't. You, you choose to do it. It's a choice. <laughs> okay. Oh, now you're a personal responsibility, um, bitch. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, if this is your first time in a long time, your first time in general, tuning into Queer Walk, uh, the leftist luminary labor lecture, which we lovingly call Nikita's Word, is the segment in which she breaks down some social justice jargon that we need to be understanding, puts us on to the radical roots of how we got to the current place we are, or just like connects something to us as queer folks of color that can be useful. 
in our struggles for liberation. I feel like I'm kind of doing a you for my word. Um, I'm just kind of like reflecting on some things, some like common social justice ideas, phrases that I think really need tweaking when you actually apply them in an organizing context. So you have a list for us? Perhaps. Nikita, I taught you well. Okay. <laughs> so I've got five things that I want to talk about that are just like common things. I think we probably, if you are especially online and particularly online, you like know these phrases. And again, I'm like, this is like me reflecting on how I see them used and like just online and like how I've encountered this in like organizing spaces where I'm just kind of like, I think we have to think and talk about these things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. This I've I'm really I really try to approach this in a comradely way, so I don't mean for this to be a shots fired. That's not the energy on this one. Uh huh. Uh huh. But you know, blast away. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one is how many times have you heard? It's not my job to educate you, right? It's saying like an oppressed. It's not mm-hmm. the oppressed person's job to educate the oppressor, and it's mm-hmm. like. You know, if I'm out and about around town and I encounter a racist person, that is not, I'm not like me personally, I'm probably not going to educate them, right? Mm-hmm. I, like, I probably would, depending on the circumstance, like, I probably would cuss them out, right? Like, I, or I wouldn't, <laughs> or it's like, I'm not going to go into a whole thing about this, right? Or some random person online, I'm not going to like spend time. Mm-hmm. trying to, mm-hmm. like, educate them about God knows what. But I see this, I just feel like I hear this so much, but I'm like, I think it's unfair that, you know, people, like, we have to educate. And I think that that's a real thing. It definitely is un- unfair. But, again, in an, they're, like, the role of an organizer, again, not just some random person on the Internet. Like, the job of an organizer is to actually educate. And I'm going to talk about this next part again. again. Not just educate, but something I also think a lot about, the addendum to this, so not my job to educate, like part B. I think we also have a responsibility to try to be persuasive. I think people don't think that that's the case. And And so much of this, I think, is about how people communicate online. Like, again, I'm not saying every time you encounter an oppressive person, you say, I think that you, I'm going to direct you to this blah, 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 right? Yeah, right. But again, Mm -hmm. like, in the context, this is why, so the way I think about organizing is that all of these ideas, all of these terms that we use, this theory, you think about it in, like, a scientific sense. But when you think about the quote-unquote hard sciences or natural sciences, like there's a theory and then you get into maybe a lab and you practice it. So for us as organizers, the organizing is our lab where we practice. It's like we study and then there's all these tools that we have, all this research and investigation and education that we do to enhance our practice. So what the fuck do I mean? It means, so in the context of a campaign, that is our practice. That is where we practice education. I'm just, I just think about some examples from my own life. So like one of the, 
the examples I was thinking about was so here in Syracuse, like in so many other urban areas, I well, I haven't actually, per, I should be clear, I have not personally worked on this campaign, but this is just a matter of example. In Syracuse, like many urban areas, you know, from like the 60s on in terms of urban renewal, there's a highway, I-81, that go that was like black homes on like the south side of the city. And of course, like the south side is a place where it's predominantly black. This highway went up and it decimated and ruined and tore apart black homes in black, in like a black community in Syracuse. So there's this debate in Syracuse about whether to keep the highway. So there's like a save I-81. And then there's like, no, we need to tear down the, the I-81 and make sure that there's like a community grid where there's some kind of like, there where so the I-81 is old, it's got to be, it could either be revamped or it can be torn down and something new can be put in its place. And there's a lot of organizers, a lot of people, advocates in the city who are saying that there has to be Whatever goes in ID1's place, it should be torn down. And whatever, and this community grid is really important in fostering economic and racial justice in the city, specifically around mm-hmm. the black folks who used to and currently live here. Right. Mm-hmm. So, what the fuck does this mm-hmm. have to do with education? Education means going out and talking to people and convincing people that. One, there is a racist history. There is like an economic exclusionary history. Not only mm-hmm. is it just a historic dispossession of like, you know, land mm-hmm. and resources of predominantly black folks, but there's a continued racial and like economic component to that. And so it's like, again, you have to actually make the case. And so it's, and so again, there's all kinds of people that live in the city who may not directly impact that, but you want those people to say to be on the side of tearing down I-81 and having something, a community grid that's racially and economically just in its place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it means talking to people in the community who may not be, again, who may not live in that area, who may not have, uh, and there's a lot of like disinformation about how it's going to, you know, there's a lot of disinformation about how it's going to be terrible for traffic and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, so again, this is, it means like you're going to have to talk to like, uh, like white folks, like uh, folks in different classes. And it's like, you actually do have to do a job of educating them on that history. Should they know that history? Yes. You know, but we understand all the structural reasons why they would not, why people would not Mm -hmm. know that. And so, again, in that context of that campaign, that is where it's like, actually, you do have to educate people about the history, about the ongoing issues and about and why the solution is favorable. You know what I'm saying? And this is why I think that, again, I understand that the burden and the burden is unfair. And again, I'm not saying you just do it willy nilly. And this is a problem. This is another point that I want to make. The problem with social media is that there's so much intense, raucous, and contentious debate, so it looks like the stakes are high, but they're actually not. And when the stakes aren't high and when you're not invested in any kind of real outcome that will have a meaningful change in people's lives, then you're not actually invested in educating. But when, like, wow, you know what I'm saying? But it's like when you're actually invested, mm-hmm. when the stakes actually are high and people's lives and communities on the are on the line then you are going to educate like your life fucking depends on it yes yes so much about politics the way i think about it's knowing who to be mad at 
right? It's being mm-hmm. mad at the right people. Mm-hmm. And if we are not educating, then somebody else is going to be doing the educating, right? Or mm-hmm. the or the miseducating. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Because, mm-hmm. and, and so what do I mean by when I say politics, knowing the right person to be mad at? Because it's like, you, we want to say it's like, so like in that example, you could say it's like, you know, the, you know, the developers or like all other kinds of people in power are to blame for the, like, for why you like that happened. You know what I'm saying? And so, and like when you just kind of like broaden it out. So it's like there are like landlords are the some of the people that we have to blame for our problems. Corporations, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Corrupt mm-hmm. and bankrupt political officials, right? Mm-hmm. Not black people, not queer people, not immigrants. Right. And so this is why right. we have to get our analysis and our facts and our worldview out there. Because if we don't, I guarantee mm-hmm. you, there is somebody waiting in the wings, ready yep. to get people to be wrong at the mad, to be to be mad at the wrong people. Yep. So that's why yep. I'm like, yes, it sucks. And I don't say you got to run around, you know, being conciliatory and educating every, you know, oppressive piece of uh, garbage. But it's like, Again, when the stakes matter, like the way that you think about, I think educating people actually changes because again, there's a vested interest in like moving mm-hmm. people. Do you understand what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And, I th- and again, I think yes. I think it's important to be persuasive. Like you can't yes. just say, mm-hmm. and like, and the people say this all the time where they're just like, go to Google and like Google it. And I'm like, there's so much fucking nonsense on the internet. Yes, right. And so it's like, I'm yeah. actually going to like, and educating is not just about resource, like, you know, going to read stuff or watching videos. It's also about dialogue and, like, you like yes. talking to people. And I don't mean that in yeah. some, like, pansy sort of liberal way. Where I'm not saying, like, you sit across from a white supremacist and say, what do you think about Fuck this no. issue? It's like, no. Yeah, no. You, you, you know, they deserve to be curb stomped, of course. No question. And, like, trying to understand, like, what qualms people may have with whatever you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. seeing if they can be moved again. Yeah. Right? Because that mm-hmm. is the purpose of education, right? It's like when you understand something differently, then you do things differently. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that's – so I'm like it's, – it's an unfair burden. But it's like, again, in the context of organizing, I, like, I think it's different. Like, I think I think that our, we do have a responsibility to try to educate. Not just, again, educate and be persuasive. So the next thing – I think there's been a lot of criticism of this one, but I'm just going to mention it anyway. So it's like acknowledging slash checking your privilege. First of all, what in the living fuck does that even mean? <laughs> so when somebody says check your privilege, yeah. what does that even mean? Yeah, what, like, yeah. what do you mean mm-hmm. when you're saying that? Mm-hmm. My problem with this is that, so here's the thing. I think I've said this a million times on the show. Everybody and their mother says that racism is systematic institutional systemic Mm -hmm. but i'm Mm -hmm. like checking your privilege or acknowledging privilege is a very individualized thing it's like if i know that i have like if i have access to like stable housing and i acknowledge that that doesn't do anything to help anybody else be housed you know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm-hmm. and it's like lack, 
And it's like lack of acknowledgement is not why the structure of oppression exists to begin with. Do you know what I'm saying? That. That. That is the piece. Wow. It's not like the slave owners were like, wow, I am in a, a structural position of advantage over the people that I'm treating as property. It's like, um, there's no amount of privilege checking. Yeah. I mean, that's a ridiculous <laughs> example, but you understand. Yeah. 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 Like there's a whole system. There's a whole political economic system that creates that, that relationship. That enables you to be so. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have to get rid of those structures that allow one person, a one person, particularly a white person to have ownership and property of a black person. What you're saying is saying to me that like, Privilege is relational, just like oppression is exactly, relational. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to talk. And so that, so somebody could say, Nikita, that's a straw person argument. Because I will say that sometimes when people are talking about this, again, going back to an organizing context, people are talking. So th- I think that, I think the best generous read of when people say that, especially within an organizing context, they are talking about the fact that these broader oppressive social dynamics end up manifesting in our communities. And it's like, of course they do. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so there has to be some kind of collective way that we deal with that stuff together. Mm-hmm. Right. So what the hell do I mm-hmm. mean? It means that, like, there's all these dynamics that show up in our communities. So, like, for example, who ends up doing what kind of work in a space, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's a, we always talk about gender division of labor, right? Yes. So, it's like, we, are women primarily, like, providing the thinking of child care, taking notes, doing that kind of stuff. And it's like, mm-hmm. what kind of collective solution can people come up with beyond? It's not just saying, oh, wow, women disproportionately do that. And for a man to be like, oh, wow, I'm checking my privilege because I'm realizing that women mm-hmm. are doing that. It's like, how do you change mm-hmm. the gendered division of labor within an organization? Right. 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 And mm-hmm. then when you think about act like they're one of the real things I think like one of the real problems like in organizing is like the issue of like time like if you have like a stable mm-hmm. typical even like a nine to five or like a job with a lot of flexibility you have a lot more time to do a lot of things right and so mm-hmm. there's it's not just saying oh I acknowledge that I have a lot more time to do this it's about how do you collectively how do people together collectively come up with ways to make it so that people can actually contribute and participate in the life of an organization that actually requires mm-hmm. collective solutions beyond mm-hmm. just acknowledging that an individual has more time than somebody else it means how do you right. actually make it so that other people can meaningfully contribute in a mm. group? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. If, I mean, I guess go back to the example of like food and childcare. It's like, is somebody in rides? Like if you're, are you more yes. likely, are you more likely to be able to participate? Oh, here's, here's a good example. Here's a good example. This is going to sound silly, but like, well run properly facilitated meetings with no that's not silly at all food child and child care that are timely 
Because it's like, if I yes. know that the meeting is actually going to go from 6 to 7.30 and not from fucking 6 to 9 o'clock, and I have a way there, and I know that my children will be taken care of, and I know that mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about dinner, that makes it easier for people to participate. Yep. And so, go on, and again, yep. it's like, it's not just saying, oh, I know I have more time. I acknowledge that I have more time and space to do a 6 to 9 meeting. It's like, no, we fundamentally have to sh- reshape and change how we go about doing how things. How we do it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm trying to say. Like privilege, whether you're talking about the systemic level, right? It's like, oh, I acknowledge that I have whatever privilege, or within like a within like a community space. It's like again, everything. Yeah, it's it's just too individualized to actually deal with the problems structurally exactly. and within our com- like yeah. communities. Does that make sense? Yes, I'm also thinking about the way people do privilege and oppression is they just rattle off identities, Thank right? You. Like. I'm a this, 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 who's a this and this and sometimes this. Thank you. And it's like, that is not acknowledging privilege. And that's also not intersectionality when exactly. you're talking about um, the oppression piece, exactly. right? Like, it's not about rattling off identities. It's how do, do these identities or accesses of power that you experience fundamentally shape your experience <laughs> in the world that allow you more like, resources access space time Time, whatever exactly so right right so now you got the audi truck because of all this privilege right so you could be the person who picks everybody up right you know since you get in 40 miles per gallon and you can seat six exactly you know exactly (laughs) and again it's like and organizations collectively come up with like ride share programs so that's i think that's the thing for me where it's like the end, it's like every you know I'm always beating the drum of co- collectivity, right? Because that's and that's yes. what and that's in a, a kind of like to connect it back to your moment. That's the hard work of collectively trying to think of ways to overcome this stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. people get so stuck in the well. If I just rattle off the bad, then I'm good. It's like no, it's hard work to come up mm-hmm. with like doing things differently. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. To like mm-hmm. overturn the broader structures and the cultures yeah. and dynamics in in like within an organizing setting. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. The next one is listen to marginalized voices. So. Oh. Oh. So here's this. Listen or center. Yeah. People love center. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> here's my problem with this one, and this is how I've this is how I've personally seen it show up. And this is this is the pet peeve that I have with that. It's like the obvious point is that all the people in a marginalized group do not agree on things. And this is the the more specific way that I see this being uh used as a bit of a cudgel. I see white liberals supporting and amplifying black moderates or black liberals to the exclusion or to beat back against more left-wing black indigenous and POC analysis. Mm -hmm. And so what it Mm -hmm. does is that I see particularly um, white liberals try to use people of color. This is the example I'm going to use right now as ventriloquists for the things that they believe, but they're they don't actually have, the the backbone to stand up and say what it is that they actually believe about something. So they use, again, more liberal and moderate voices to be the ventriloquist for what it is that they actually believe. 
I think the place that we see this most clearly is in the electoral politics realm, right? Where, a, and you know, I got to stop beating up on, um, you know what? I'm not even going to beat up on um, Kamala because we've, we've torn her up enough. So let's say, let's, you know what? There's a, you know who I haven't give a good uh, ribbing to? Fucking Pete Buttigieg. Pete, I don't like you. I just, I just want to say that. He's, he's trash. So again, Oh, you know, I'm going to give this most recent example. I'm going to give a recent example. So what's that? I can't remember what's that. Uh, I think she's a House of Representative, Kristen Cinema or something. She's a bisexual mm-hmm. legislator. And she just came out. She, did, she voted no on the new coronavirus package because mm-hmm. that was, and she was against the $15 increase in minimum wage. And mm-hmm. so she said, she was saying that like, critiques criticisms of her around not supporting the minimum wage $15 minimum wage were sexist were sexist yeah and she's bisexual this is yeah and so some this is misogyny right and i'm like Mm -hmm. first of all you know how many motherfucking women and queer people would benefit from an increase in the minimum wage. And it's like, no, it's like, that's not sexist. And it's not homophobic to, Mm -hmm. to be like, you on one. You on that bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it's Mm -hmm. like, and the reason why I was going to use Pete Buttigieg in, in uh, Kamala, I saw it a lot with Kamala is that people like it's racist and it's sexist. Now don't get me wrong. There were people, I think, uh, there, there are like white people on the left, you know, and other people who were, or in even like right wing people who were totally being racist and sexist against Kamala Harris. And again, like I always say, we defend her from that stuff. But it's also like being against bringing up her record as a prosecutor and as a district attorney is not racist and sexist. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And I want mm-hmm. white liberals to actually deal with the substantive political critiques that black and indigenous and other POC left-wing people were waging against her rather than trying to hide behind other black liberals that were supporting Kamala, Kamala mm-hmm. Harris. That's the problem that I have mm-hmm. with, like, listen to marginalized voices. Because the obvious follow-up question is, well, which fucking ones? Yeah, and the other yeah. problem I have is like just say you just say that you disagree with that analysis, and then we could actually mm-hmm. have the more meaningful political debate and disagreement rather than trying mm-hmm. to pretend that you're actually being, you know, progressive. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That is the mm-hmm. way that I mm-hmm. see it used so often, and it just grinds my gears when it's like, well, I was told yeah. by this person. I'm like, stop being a fucking coward and say what your actual political yep. beliefs are. And if you're not going to say it, yeah. then shut up and stop behind, stop hiding behind other uh, other black and like POC liberals and just say what the fuck it yeah. is that you believe. I can't Who, stand that. Yeah. This next one, I don't know how to really describe this one. But it's basically, this is my, this is my, I think that we have to have a radical defense of expertise broadly understood and defined. I see your eyes got big. Because I'm like, Nikita, you, I'm this doing is not it. a point. I'm this doing is a whole it. word I'm by doing itself. It. I'm doing it, but I'm going to try to keep it. I'm going to try to keep it. All right. Kind of going off the, it's our job to educate. It's also our job to know what the fuck we're talking about. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think I've, I feel like a lot of this stuff I should say, I think a lot of these things kind of like came out of the Academy. And I think that that context is, I think that that is important. And I mm-hmm. think that that's why a lot of these things sometimes do not translate well right. in like practice. Right. Mm-hmm. So I feel like people, everybody's always trying to quote unquote like decolonize knowledge. And it's like, that's a real thing, right? But I think we do it in a way where we don't value expertise. And I'm not talking about it in some mm-hmm. like technocratic way where only people with degrees and credentials are considered experts. That's that's not what I'm talking about. But again, we have to, something I always say is that we have to be defenders of rigorous inquiry, research, and investigation and study. Because again, we have to know what we're talking about. Here's the example that... We have to know what we're talking about. Here's one of the examples that I give. So of course, to to make the point that I'm not just talking about people with credentials, I'll never forget, I was at this meeting. We put on this meeting with our BLM chapters a while ago. And there's this black dude in there. I mean, just going on and on and on. I mean, just knew the law inside and out. Was he a lawyer? No. He had been incarcerated. And his life mm-hmm. literally depended on him knowing the ins knowing. and outs of the law. Right. Right? And right. it's like, that is mm-hmm. a person who I consider to be an expert. And it was, right. and it's like, we know that the law is racist and unevenly applied, but that doesn't mean that we we still have a responsibility to try to understand what the fuck is mm-hmm. going on and how it's impacting our people. You know what I yes. mean? And that was the dude mm-hmm. who knew. I mean, I mean, we were just like we learned so much. Yep. And mm-hmm. it's like another thing is like how do you gain expertise? Is like you also thinking about it in an organizing context. It's like you gain. It's not just like, because people think study and investigation is just getting in like a study group. And that's important, but that's not what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. Another concrete example. We're doing all this stuff around policing locally. And most of the people that we met or who came to us were black women. And so it was like either they had experienced the police violence and brutality or, or a loved one had. Mm-hmm. And it was through doing that work that we also, like, there probably has not been a single black woman that we've encountered who had an issue with policing, who also did not have an issue or some kind of issue around child protective services. Mm-hmm. And so and through it was through the practical experience of organ. Now, of course, you know, you could read about this connection all day in a book or whatever. And that's like valuable knowledge, blah, blah, blah. But it was through on the ground experience and talking to people where we learned about, we got a better sense and a better picture of what was going on in our community. Yes. And there's Mm -hmm. a certain kind, and I'm not saying we ended up being experts, but it's like through talk, even through the work around policing, through talking to people, it's like, Mm -hmm. I know people who do all kinds of organizing know this, where it's like, you then have a sense about which, like, there's certain, you could just say a name of an officer. 
Yep, yep. And then people will be like, that. oh, that. And then you yep. learn, you're like, damn, officer. Like, anytime you talk to somebody, and, uh, and it's not like you're leading people. It's like every, you're like, wow, I'm con- I'm making connections and patterns and understanding how yep. policing in my city works. Because every single time I mm-hmm. talk to somebody, one out of five people is going to name this fucking officer. That this is officer, that is yep. valuable. Then you become like an, yep. like an expert. And like, because yep. yep. like, that shit is hard to find. You know what I'm saying? Like them disciplinary yeah. records aren't open to the public, and it's, but it's right, right. But it's through like those one on ones and like collecting stories. Yeah. So, and this is what I want to say about because it's not just like some technocratic credentialed person. Like we didn't go to like somebody who researches police. It's like exactly. we went to people in our community because those are the people who are dealing with yep. this shit. So they are the experts yep. in terms of understanding yep. who, how, who. Who was policing and how they're policing on the force? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, and again, mm-hmm. it's like there's specific things that we have to know. And I, I think that's yes. the point that I'm trying to get at. So it's like, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, like, it's like the defense of like this expertise is like we don't have to, we should broaden expertise, not totally eschew it or avoid it. I think that is the thing. Because mm-hmm. I think I think in a rush to be radical and you know, I think people want to get yep. away from expertise and I'm like, no, who is an intellectual and who is an expert should be more broadly understood and defined. Yeah. We don't totally mm-hmm. give up on knowing. That's my right. thing. And, there, yes. and there's so we many don't different give up on we knowing. don't give up on knowing because there's so many fucking different ways to know. That that There's to me, so many ways. that is to me the like the important piece that I think when you know some some people would just be too radical for me. Like you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, yep, yep. It's like my grandma said this one time, like about church people. She's like, I know they're so heavenly bound that they're no earthly good. Doom, boom, boom, and, boom, and that's it right there. That's it's like the fucking word. Yeah. What is the point of being able to quote all these scriptures to me on your journey to heavenly boundness if it's not practically and earthly useful, right? Exactly. So, so and that is the nuance in expertise. expertise this reminds me of yeah. like growing up, people would be like, "Oh, you street smart or you book smart." And yeah, like, exactly. There's so many ways to know exactly. that the the most radical conclusion is not fuck expertise. Exactly. The most radical conclusion is how do we honor all ways of being an expert? There it is. There it is. There it is. All right. So the last Ooh, one. Nikita, I'm just. The last thing. Last this, one. Let's go. This gonna, I think it's going to be touchy. Tone policing. Because it's like that is a, that comes from a very real place, right? It's like we're black. We're not just yeah. black. We're black women. We're queer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're tall, so it's like we totally understand. Yeah, yeah. That mm-hmm. people, you know, say that we're being aggressive, yeah. Yeah. sassy, all this shit. That is a very mm-hmm. real thing. But let me tell you this: how you fucking talk to people in organizing matters. That's that's. Mm-hmm. I see the way some of these motherfuckers talk to people online, and the thing I always say to people is: before I was a black feminist, I was raised culturally black. And I was raised that you don't just be talking to people any kind of way. Any kind like, of way. That's the number one rule of black that, community. And it's like, I see. You don't be talking out the side of your neck. And it's like, and, I, and I'm not saying that we don't have a right. I want to be very clear because people are going to be like, I know how it can sound. And that's not what I mean. I'm not saying that we don't have a right to not just be, but to express anger and that kind of thing. Like when people are doing things that are fucked up. Mm-hmm. But 
But like, I think I've given this example before where we were in a meeting, somebody who experienced police brutality has said something transphobic. Mm-hmm. And a good comrade was like, I know you didn't mean that, but it's like, that's not, that's actually not the way that we really refer to trans people. And they were like, shit, I didn't know that. My bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, that was how that was like dealt with. We could have cussed that person out and been like, you're transphobic trash. And it was a transphobic trash comment. Sure. And it's like, and it's like I know deep down in her heart of heart, she didn't have a problem with queer people, but I'm also like, you know, you can't mm-hmm. be around here calling people that. Yes, yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. so I would have had a right to, you know, be like, you can't be. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I'm also not going to talk to this 40-something-year-old or this 60-something-year-old black woman like I lost my mind either. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. people get so used to talking reckless to each other on the internet that they have yeah. no real ways of actually. Because at the end of the day, it's like the, we're still talking about having relationships and interacting with each other as humans. But you are. You are still talking about having community, relationships, connectedness to these people. I think I think for some people that's not the case. Yeah. For some people, it's like, you said this thing, banished you to the to the edges of society right right? so it's like i was i was just talking to christian about this earlier that like not all harms are created equal therefore accountability for those harms don't look the same so if you know an older black person is using way outdated terms yeah for than what we would use today to describe queer people you know the place that is coming from is different than somebody saying hey all you f words don't exactly. come into this establishment exactly. you know like, exactly a, diff- a different harm a different kind of accountability so yeah i'm gonna cuss the person out that used the right. the queer slur but i'm a i'm a call in the person yeah. who used it yeah, I think yeah. the best way for me to say this is just like we just need to treat our people like they're our people. That, I mean, that's we that's need what to treat our that's people how like it, they're our people. That's what it comes down to for me. Yep. Because I'm like, because here's the thing, and this might be problematic, but you know, I'm a work in progress. There's a lot of like rage that I can like expect and experience from, especially from somebody who I don't share their like oppression, right? But you really only got about two to three times to talk to me like you've lost your mind also. <laughs> that's it is again, I was black before I was ever a Marxist feminist. And that's that's you know, you just you treat our people like they're our people. That's that's all I'm trying to say. So those are just the five things that um um that I had just been thinking about that I wanted to reflect on. I was I also I gotta get a, a give a shout out. Uh, to my boo, because I don't remember, we had been like, because I was like, what the hell am I going to talk about? And we'd been like having these conversations. I don't remember about what. So shout out to the boo uh, for helping me, because um, I, I practiced these ideas out on her last night. So I hope that they were coherent and that I hope they made sense. And you know what? I want to know what Dude, you think about it. That's some weird foreplay. <laughs> <laughs> you take off an article of clothing every time you go through uh, one of the things on the list. Try it. <laughs> so, yeah, let me know your thoughts. Tell me what you agree with. And I want to know if you disagree. I want to know if you like, uh-uh. Of, again, comradely disagreement. Because if you, you got one time to tweet at me like you've lost your mind, and I won't clap back. Mm-hmm. Bitch, it'll be a motherfucking round of applause back, okay? Okay. <laughs> 
right, y'all. So we're going to move it on along into our topic segment. And our topic segment is like our queer potpourri. It's where everything that doesn't fit into our other segments go. So, Nikita, you wanted to talk about these uh, these um, stats from the Gallup poll? Yeah. Okay. So I guess we'll post the link to the Gallup poll. But the sensational headline is LGBT identification rises 5.6% in latest U.S. estimates. And this came out in February of this year, 2021. So if you're listening to this, uh, the article was published last week. So what specifically did you want to talk about about this? Was it just specifically lesbian? No, it's just, um, I don't know where I grew up hearing this. But for some reason, I had always thought I heard that, like, 10% of the population was queer. So this 5.6% number seems low to me. And it's interesting because it's pitched as a rise. A rise, And and they give statistical whatever to, like, demonstrate that there is a rise. But I'm like, I mean, this... Yeah, because it's, like, essentially doubled since 2002. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I feel like that's a statistic that I've heard thrown out before. Like, queer people are 10% of the population or something. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Because we're less than, we're less than 7% of the population. Yeah. Um, and I also think the thing that I think about with these kind of studies, too, is... Well, I mean, increasingly so now. It's like, what words are people using to understand their own identity and how is that getting captured in that that was that was gonna you stole it right from me so looking at the respond looking at so here's the question which of the following do you consider yourself to be you can select as oh i didn't realize they said this you can select as many as apply straight or heterosexual lesbian gay bisexual or transgender yeah or other, e.g. queer, other. same gender yeah. loving. They're tr- it's so interesting because they're talking about it in terms of sexual orientation, but they have transgender. They have gender, yeah. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. kind of a, that's that's such a, a pass, like a passe sort of lumping. You, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. you could obviously be trans and... All these others. Uh, yeah. yeah. Which is, I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess that's why they said select as many as apply, but. Yeah, and the other question they ask is, do you personally identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think, you know, the wording of these things, but among all U.S. adults, lesbians make up 0.7% of all U.S. adults. More than half of LGBT respondents to this identify as bisexual. So about 55% of the people understand themselves to be on the bi spectrum. Mm -hmm. About a quarter identify as gay men. About 11% identify as lesbians. And 11% identify as trans. And again, this is among LGBT adults. Right, 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 right. So among that 5.6 or whatever or whatever percentage of queer adults... Right. That is the... Right. So among course, the 5.6%, yeah, ha- 55 are bi, right? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So let's say, so if that's 5.6, so 3 point, so like 2.75, 2.8 are bi, yeah. right? Yes, Out of that yes, 5.6. Yes yes, 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 yes. And so, yeah, so 
as you see here in the breakdown, like among all U.S. adults, less than 1% are lesbian, less than 1% are trans, um, 0.2 checked other. And so gay and bisexual really, you know, make up the bulk of that 5.6%. That is so interesting because do you remember and it says women and some of these like things that they pull out, women are more likely to identify as bisexual. 4.3% do uh, compared with 1.3% identifying as lesbian and 1.3% as something else. Among men, 2.5% identify as gay and 1.8% as bisexual and 0.6% as something else. Do you remember, I think this was a while ago, we talked about how So this is actually interesting because it puts another stat that we talked about a while ago in perspective, how black women were more likely to identify as bisexual. Bisexual, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because it seems now that we have this information that black women are in, that that seems to be reflective of a broader trend of more people identifying as, um, more queer people identifying as bisexual. I don't, I don't. I did not know that at that time. But it seemed, But here's the interesting thing, though. So when you look at it in terms of generationally, so for people born before 1946, only 0.2% of them identify as lesbian. So for baby boomers, it's 0.4%. Generation. Yeah, X, but who was 0.7. saying that? Who was saying that in 1946? Okay, but you know sure. what I'm saying. But I'm. But I'm saying. So I don't think I caught this before, but with every generation, it seems the number like increases. The number that is not how I actually interpreted this the first time I looked at this article. So I think something is interesting is that there's a small percentage. Overall, it seems like lesbians are a very small percentage of mm-hmm. who we understand to be queer adults. But like that, like between millennials and generation z so for our generation 0.8 percent of us are identified as lesbian but for gen- generation z it's 1.4 that's, that's almost a doubling yeah and so the lesbian millennials did something right because <laughs> we almost du- <laughs> doubled our numbers yeah in a decade yeah <laughs> so from from 96 to 2002 Lesbians was because you know why? Because all of this identity shit comes from black and of color lesbians. Yeah, and so as people explore this shit, you gotta recognize who did it. Uh, who, I thought um, you were gonna say because something was popping off between the nine nine and the two thousand. Well, maybe that too. <laughs> when did back that ass up come out? <laughs> in in nineteen ninety nine, maybe there was like some kind of awakening of like, yeah. huh? I think. You know, after after seeing that girl, I'm about to say you shake. see one ass shake, and you're like, I'm curious. I'm curious. Tell me more. Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> I feel like these things get so tricky to talk about because um, it's like it's not about trying to pit people in the queer community against one another. But I think I'm like of interested. Not. I'm interested in trying to figure out like what is like giving rise to these dynamics because. I feel like we've heard so much. And it's like, this is, okay, I want to be clear that, like, by erasure is, like, a very real thing. But it's like, like, that's a phrase that I've heard and I've, like, heard a lot in the queer community. But it's like, mm-hmm. so it's like, how do we understand that phenomenon with this, like, what seems to be, like, this 
accounting and or maybe or maybe by erasure is maybe that is a product of it where it's like most people identify as bisexual but it still seems like I guess it's like do people still understand it to see it and see it understand it as like this like taboo sort of identity when it seems like that's like most of the queer population quick I mean since 1965 most those numbers queer, are like those right Right. Rapidly that increasing. The majority of people identifying as LGBT were identifying as bi. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, like, 54%, 55%. So, yeah. yeah. How do we understand that in community? If yeah. it's like, you know, yeah. I think about um, these, like, online dating events. Like, it's, it's always a conversation. It always comes up. Everyone about, like, bi erasure, bi exclusion. Yeah. Um... But when the majority of queer people are on the bi spectrum, yeah. like what what is happening then? Yeah, yeah. I think we're in a wave right now where it's it's more safe. I don't know what word I want to use to use more umbrella terms than specific terms. Yeah. So like I I see a lot of people posting about um, you know, like lesbian elders and will be like she was a queer person of color i'm like no she was a black lesbian yeah you know like why why can't we say those those things um especially yeah like to your point in circumstances where like that is explicitly how like we understand and know that these women identified right right like i think about like uh gloria anzaldua a lot like how people will be like our queer of color. I'm like, yeah. she was very explicitly, right? A, yeah. a, a Latina lesbian. Like yeah. that's, that's the materiality of her life that she was like writing through to explain right. these things. And so, um, I don't know if it's for like the sake of community that we I'd move right. to these broader umbrella terms, sure. but I think it makes a difference. Maybe that, um, as I talk this out, I'm like, maybe this is the thing with like by erasure of like, for the sake of community, we've moved to such like broad terms to catch everybody. Terms like queer, yeah, um, where like we're actually not talking about the nuance of bisexuality and queer, yeah, community. yeah, or the Touché. yeah, like the Touché. nuance of what yeah. does it mean to be a lesbian? Yeah, lesbian, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna end this episode with our sometimes favorite segment. Curved Chronicles. Curved, 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 curved. And Curved Chronicles is where we talk about our dating woes and wins and or y'all's dating woes and wins. You can send us an email at queerwalkpod at gmail.com. All right. So, you know, Nikita shouted out her boo. So I feel like we're working. We're working up towards her disclosing something about her intimate life with us. Well, let's not get uh, carried away. I oh. I also got to meet her virtually. Boo. Yeah. Uh, virtually, yes. Um, oh, she said, let me. Ain't this some this. shit, y'all? Nikita was always like, you better remember who your best friend is. But I, I am just now meeting the person that she's been loving. So she sent a message. She said, I appreciate meeting money today so much. It made my day. Why you didn't tell me that? Oh, I Why are you telling me that right now on the mic? See, either I disclose a schmantinic shot, you're, you just bump <laughs> your gums to the high fucking heavens. <laughs> no, I really appreciated meeting her too. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's like so obvious that y'all are all cutesy and like each other yeah. or whatever. Y'all lesbian in together. Yeah. I, I, I just I just love and appreciate her so much. I just um it's just one of those things that was just so unexpected and I mean I don't know. I'm very grateful for her. How'd y'all meet? Can we know that? Oh, that's such a great so you know I'm an old fashioned ass bitch. Y'all met at a hardware store? <laughs> <laughs> Go down. So, um, I was single and she was recently single. And so I had gone to this protest and I was with my friend. Uh. And uh, with my friends, because I'd met her once before. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had like the same circle of friends. And we were at this protest with my friends and she came over and I was like, and so she walked away. I thought I had said this remark in my head, but apparently um, I made a comment intimating that I thought that she was attractive. I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you said. I too. thought it was a private thought and my friend. Damn, bitch, she might <laughs> me and i was like i thought i had said that internally <laughs> that's y'all that's what nikita says all the time it's like her catchphrase <laughs> damn bitch <laughs> stop giving away my secrets so she was uh newly single and she was walking around she would took a walk with this friend and she was just like, oh, who am I going to date in Syracuse? And my friend was like, well, have I got some, I know somebody who thinks that you're attractive. <laughs> and she slid in my DMs about a status. Because I was looking for an exercise bike. So she slid in my DMs under the pretense of an exercise bike. And that's when the narrator says she was not, in fact, concerned about the exercise bike. So... <laughs> Very happy. Yeah. Please is punch. So funny. That's such a Nikita Nikita story. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? <laughs> so I was on this picket line, right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yay! Yeah, that's so cute. Okay, Nikita's smiling too hard. I don't think she can say anything else right now. <laughs> I shared. <laughs> You shared. I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of you. Yes. You let us in. And Welcome. I'm pushing you back out. Okay. It's all right. You know, baby steps. You're yes. a curmudgeon. We get it. Mm-hmm. What you got for us, money? Yeah. You know I ain't got shit. <laughs> you told me you had a chronicle. Oh. Um, it's not chronicles. It's just more of the same, you know, with. Uh, I haven't been going to many protests, so maybe that's what I need to be doing. I need to be, you know, double masked up on a Tuesday at a at a protest. Um, but no. So for me, most of my non non platonic interaction happens on dating apps. Sure. And so <laughs> most of them, it'll be like. Molly liked you. Susan liked you. Uh, and Annabelle like, liked you. And you're like, no, thanks. <laughs> no, 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 no. Becky liked you. Whoa, <laughs> Ashley run. with the L-E-I-G-H liked you. I'm like, run. no, 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 no. It's no. like, we good right. on that. 
And it also it's makes like, me think, if like... If it's not a person that Petey Pablo named in that song, then I'm not interested. <laughs> that what he Freak a League song? Yeah. <laughs> Shonda, Sabrina, Thank you. If, if it's not, If it's not one of them, then you not... It's not gonna be for you. Or if DMX didn't name you and what these bitches want from... Yeah, then it's, it's like, nope. Nope. <laughs> Yeah, if, if, <laughs> if yeah, if your name hasn't been in a Petey Pablo or DMX song, but you gotta like, apply. Yeah, this <laughs> return to sender. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm not. Um, I mean, I think where I am right now, I don't think that I would partner with a white woman. But I just, I just think that I can't just cold be attracted to a white yeah, woman. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like. So matching on an app is not going to happen with a white person. Yeah. Like maybe, you know, some feelings would develop if I knew you and sure. blah, blah, blah. And I didn't have to do, you know, yeah. whatever, they've, whatever. They've been vetted. That's really right. Right. It's, it's just not just no fresh out the pack white person that yeah. I don't. <laughs> who is this? No, I'm not matching with you. Um, so, yeah. So it's a lot of that. And it, it makes me question like. What about my profile? <laughs> Things that you <laughs> should have the I, you know, unmitigated gall to come <laughs> to think that I would be interested. To think that I would be interested. I think it has actually very little to do with I, me. I, I was more. just about to say that. Yeah. You're just like, yeah, why not? Yeah. And I think it has like all this social, like the people on the apps are reflectives of who these apps work for. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. You've gotten like 30 dates off of her this yeah. year. So, of course, it's going to, yeah, just put yourself out there. Just go for it. Yeah. Like, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I'm just going to swipe and see what happens. You're just going to be open. You're just going to be open. open. You know, you're going to be open minded. And, um, it's like, I yeah, love so. all people. <laughs> okay. A cab in my bio. But <laughs> it's just. <laughs> your life yeah, matters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think they're just like so used to having success on the apps that it's She's just like, like why of not? course this person of is Of course this person would be interested, yeah. Right. What yeah. do I have to lose? But I did have um I wanted to tell you these two things. Let me see if I can pull it up. These two message exchanges that were so funny to me. Okay. So I matched with this person. In in their bio, they said anyone who says something like here to ruin my life again, uh I'm like <laughs> looking for basically. And so I was like, do people really say here to ruin my life again in their bios? Is swiping really that hopeless? And they were like, yes, it is. And at least they did the last time I was on here back in 1997, LOL. So they're saying like they've been on the apps yeah, for so for long. Yeah, for a minute, sure. Yeah, swiping is so hopeless. And then they were just like, hey. And I was like, well, 97 was probably the last time dating apps were good anyway. So, <laughs> you know, so we're like joking about this. Ta- time out. Like, Money, your game has really come a long way. You know. That was because old money would. Ooh, I don't even want to talk about that. That was, that was good. That was good. <laughs> old Go money would have been like, well, actually, uh, apps. The technological, um, the technological <laughs> capabilities were not even around in 97. So this is an implausible. You're... You would have been left on red like a motherfucker. Anyway, exactly. Go so ahead. I've gotten better, right? Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. And so then, yeah, so they were like, I was on here back in 1997. And I was like, yeah, you know, that was probably last time they were good. Um, It's so good to meet you. And they were like, yeah, you know, back in the day, it was good. It's like great to meet you too. They're like, I really like your bio. I like what you wrote. All really good things. They like Brent Fires too. So, you know, we had this conversation about Brent. (laughs) And then they were like, Oh, also, I don't want my last message to read weird because sarcasm is like my first language. And so I was like, yeah, I understand that. Sarcasm is a humor you got to know early if somebody can handle. Yeah. Um, I said, mission accomplished. I can handle it. Right. And so then they go. <laughs> this was great. Uh, but going to call this and hang it up. Have a good night, money. <laughs> and I don't know what that what? meant. Was it was that like this was a good back and forth. Uh gonna call this and hang it up. Good night. <laughs> so was that were y'all messaging at night? Yeah, it was around nine. Oh, okay. Cause I don't know if that's like a good night or uh you have a nice life, I have a nice life, goodbye forever. I, that's how I read it. How I read it was this was great. You have a nice life. I have a yeah. nice life. Goodbye. <laughs> gonna call this and hang it up. Good night. I th- I'm gonna say I think that that's like a good night. Good night. Like a. You good think evening. that's a good night message? Yeah. When you say you're gonna call this, that is like code for I'm quit. Let's call it quits. Like for like I'm right gonna, now. Nikita, I'm gonna call this and hang it up. That phrase is like, it's clipped, oh. it's over, it's done with. I mean, I wouldn't message that person back. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. That is so bizarre. I don't know what that means. Because we were having such a funny back and forth. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this person is obviously hilarious. And then it was like, well, this has been great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that person is probably a Capricorn. <laughs> <laughs> it takes one to know one. Well, I've enjoyed this in exchange. Goodbye forever. <laughs> this is I'm about to look. Oh, they don't have they um Oh my gosh, they're a Taurus. So close. <laughs> the <laughs> so makes sense. I have a thing with Tauruses, Nikki. You hate them. I know that. You don't ever want to be I don't hate them, okay? I don't hate Tauruses. I'm actually like, I'm actually like, I very, I'm very compatible. Well, supposedly, I'm very compatible with Tauruses. And I think the thing I have with them is like this frustration of like the rigidity, Uh the like mechanicalness, the how how in their way they are. Yeah, and so it's like. It's nine o'clock. It's bedtime. I'm going to sleep. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm calling it. Good night. It's like a it's like a um a self awareness in a very socially awkward way. Yep, yep. <laughs> that seems so, that's also like the exact same personality of a Capricorn. Yeah, I think Tauruses are just a lot more uh um internal than Capricorns oh, are. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, all us earth signs, we all have our things. Sure. Uh, okay, so there's um 
So if if no if y'all match and nobody messages, her will send you a prompt. Oh, those right? prompts are awful. They're they're kind of bad. What's the worst date you've ever been on? What is something that people never guess about you? And so um so her has sent a prompt because I had matched this person and we didn't we didn't message. And so the prompt was what is something that people would never guess about you? And this person responded um, I collect vinyl. That was it. That was the message. I collect vinyl. And so I responded and I said, hey, their name. And I was like, you collect vinyl? So you're really into music, huh? And they replied, indeed. <laughs> I'm, what am I supposed to do with that? You don't respond to that. Yeah. Um... <laughs> And just in case anybody is is uh, interested, this is a Capricorn. <laughs> How did I know? How did I know? So I think what I'm learning is that I need to stay away from the Earth sign delegation. Like, <laughs> uh, I think I don't think that we do well on apps. That's not mm-hmm. our forte. So if there's any Libras out there, any. <laughs> Fuck a Libra gonna do Any for Pisces, you. Pisces, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I just think you know the mutability of Virgo. Like I could definitely make a conversation out of thin air, you know. Yeah. So you are indeed, very, very good at that. Yeah. So like a indeed, I could have easily. I had ten responses on the go, but. No, it's not worth it. I was, yeah, I'm like, this ain't worth it. It's like, not worth what, it. What kind of... I don't want to have to pull anything out of exactly, you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, I need, maybe I need another mutable sign. You should have hit them with the uh, the other one. It's like, well, I'm calling this good night. Like, <laughs> I'm going to call this and hang it up. Good night. Good night. And, even, and it would have been wilder if it was at, like, in the morning. You would have been messaging. You would have been like, I'm calling this a good night. And they're like, but it's 11 a.m. <laughs> I said good night. Oh, man. The apps, yeah. more like the craps, uh, am I right? They're so, yeah. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. If uh, you would have anything to contribute, just use the hashtag QueerWOC or just go ahead and message us. Y'all can be in my DMs about the podcast. Uh, my DMs are always open for y'all. And yeah, this has, oh my God, this is episode 101. 101. Are um, we now talking Dalmatians? Yes. So this has been money. And I, I have not been swayed by Nikita's... Uh, uh, leftist propaganda. I am still an ant abolitionist. Wow. Well, you know, I'm changing it for the end. And I'm Nikita. I'm uh, episode 101. Hashtag Cruella DeVille in this bitch. Okay. Cruella Dykeville. <laughs> ah, there, we, there we go. There we go. That's who I am for this episode. Cruella Dykeville. All right, Dykeville. y'all. Bye. Bye.